Alright, so the message this morning is about big faith. And once in a while, a message kind of builds over time, and then I share it here out of the honest reflections of my own life and just this sense of something that God is saying and doing, and it's not just for me, it's for all of us. And so I want to start right off and give a little picture of what I believe God has been saying to me and growing in me, and there is this sense, I believe, of God at work in a way where I've been feeling this gravitational pull towards walking in bigger faith, a faith that in fact feels out of touch with the normal status quo, feels uncomfortable in a way, almost like, man, do I, can I really believe that? But it's this sense of the world of God pulling me out of the status quo, pulling us out of a status quo, normal thinking, into living from God's world. And that will mean and look like big faith in our world. So there's the, the kind of the spiritual sense deep in my bones that gets me excited to be here and share with you today. And so let's get into it. I want us to consider in our time, what does it look like to be shaken out of our status quo of how we think and, and welcomed into an abundantly better future than we actually even just think is possible on our own. I want to try to help us today bask in a better world that is possible now and increasingly so and in full measure in the age to come. And this message is, is coming out of the reality of where we're at in a global scale, and the, the collision of a couple different forces. On one hand, our, our world is going through great upheaval. There is a worldwide cultural earthquake that is undeniable. Things have changed drastically in our status quo. And there are all sorts of different responses going on to this cultural earthquake. And we're being inundated with headlines every single day of responses. And part of what the, the collision that's taking place in me is that a lot of the headlines that, you know, we've talked about it and we're not going to focus on it this morning. But a lot of those headlines are just negative. They're doom and gloom. They're fearful, if not hysterical. And there's, there's a basis in, in reality for fear right now. I'm not saying there's not, because people have died, and that is not a good thing. That's a, that can be a scary thing. But another force that I feel God is helping me to reckon with and wrestle with right now is that as we've just completed seven weeks in a row of daily devotionals, as a church family, every day, 
in Hebrews and in the Psalms. So seven weeks in a row, this entire quarantine period, it's been intentional. We have had an opportunity at noon every day, with the exception of my anniversary. I ditched you all. (laughs) Every day for seven weeks. It's just to say, let's focus on the headlines of God's word. And as we have done a good job, many of you participated. It's been excellent, very rich time. As we've immersed ourselves in the headlines of God's word and God's world, I am struck over and over by this gravitational pull into big faith, into bigger faith. I mean, and that should, I'm, I'm just more and more feeling that should be the experience of being in God's word. You should feel the clash with the status quo of normal life and the way people think around you with what God's word actually says. It sh- you should feel it. There is a clash, not just a tension, a collision, where God's word and God's world is pulling you beckoning you, drawing you with a gravitational pulling force towards a bigger faith. Just a few of the gravitational pulls that I've heard in the last seven weeks. I mean, frankly, this is from the last two weeks in the Psalms. Hebrews was bonkers good. And then we did two weeks in the Psalms with our Elevation Ministry Board Every day, giving a different one. So here's a few of those things that should be a gravitational pull towards the world of heaven that makes us uncomfortable with the normal thinking. Psalm 91, verse 7. My dad gave this on Thursday. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Or Psalm 34.4 that Alicia did. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Or Larry did Psalm 16.6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Or Denise did Psalm 1.3. The person who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Or Psalm 103, Dr. Charles did this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. All of those things are a whole nother world that is possible and wanting to collide with our present reality. Over and over for the last seven weeks, the the current circumstances of our world and all the thinking that's going on and coming our way has helped me feel this mighty 
collision with God's word and God's world that continually calls us, pulls us to believe things that don't make sense from a normal human perspective. I mean, test these verses. Don't let familiarity just gloss it over. Test this in your life as you feel these verses. Does this make sense to normal thinking? It doesn't make sense that a thousand would fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. That does not make sense. It doesn't seem possible, as Psalm 34 says, that he delivered me from all my fears. It doesn't line up with experience, you could say, so far that as Psalm 94, as John Andrews brought out on Friday, that God will wipe out wickedness and their evil schemes. It seems too good to be true that Psalm 1 says, if I trust in the Lord in everything I do, I will prosper. Or it goes against what a lot of people have told me about getting old. Psalm 103, Charles, our oldest member of the board, picked that one to say, I'm living this out. God will satisfy you with good and renew your youth like the eagles. And he is a living embodiment of that powerful world coming to bear. So as we've been soaking in God's word together, man, I have been struck with either the Bible is just lofty language out of touch with reality, or maybe I'm out of touch with his reality. And I think it's more of the latter. And that's not in a condemnation way. That's in a God beckoning with this gravitational pull saying, come, come, live in my world. Live from my world. And isn't that the essence of faith? As we looked at in Hebrews quite extensively, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. The word conviction there is actually proof. So faith is when you have in your heart proof of what hasn't yet happened or an assurance, a confidence all over Hebrews, man, it is about confidence a confidence of things hoped for that you haven't yet seen. So they're out there in front of you. And you've got a conviction, an assurance, a confidence that they are real and they're coming. But this word, man, when we went through this in Hebrews 11, you can look it up on the website. It's crazy. It's so amazing. The word for faith here. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. There, It gets even better. The Greek word is hypostasis. That's only used, very rare word in, in the New Testament. It's a philosophical word. It talks about, it's about, it's about existence itself. 
the word is only used one other place in Hebrews. And man, God's word is so cool when you do this stuff. It's where it, this word hypostasis is used to describe Jesus in chapter 1, verse 3 of Hebrews. Check this out and follow me. It's all going to come together. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his, God's, hypostasis. Not assurance, not God's assurance. The word itself means reality. The very reality of something, the very essence of something, something's very nature. Jesus is the hypostasis of God, the very reality of God, the very nature of God. And what this verse now, forward to 11.1, faith is, is our connection to God's reality. Faith is the reality of things hoped for. See what it's doing here? Faith is our connection to God's reality, to God's world. Because God's world is actually far more real than this world. And so faith has this forward-looking connection to God's reality of who God is and what is coming our way. You see this all over Hebrews. Look, read Hebrews 10, 11, 12, and look at the forward nature of reality. The forward-looking, excuse me, of faith. The forward-looking nature of faith. It said this in Hebrews 11, 8 and 10 about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was going to receive an inheritance. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And he's not, this is not talking about the foundations of a city that are going to literally be built in Israel right now in his lifetime. Although God did great things there too. The point is, Abraham's faith connected him to a greater reality that God is building that is coming his way, the spiritual reality where God is building a city that has foundations and is coming towards him. Faith is the connection with God's world and his coming kingdom. Abraham lived from that and then was empowered because of that to do radical things. Radical obedience, radical trust, had great power and achieved great things in his life. But it's this incredible picture of what faith actually is. Seeing, faith is this seeing into God's world. And knowing it's real and knowing it's coming your way like an unstoppable force. And somehow, as the Bible describes all over the place, somehow, through faith, more of that world is brought into this world. Somehow, through faith, being that connection, more of God's heavenly reality becomes our earthly reality. Jesus taught this 
exact truth. When he taught us to pray in Mark 11, 22 to 24, he says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have already received it, and then it will be yours. Whew. This is big Faith. Actually, no, it's not. Jesus didn't say that. He just said it's faith. He said it's normal faith. Have faith in God when you pray, and this is what's going to happen. So it's just normal faith to Jesus, but I say it's big faith because it helps me. It helps me feel the collision that this should feel big. I, I, I should be uncomfortable in a way. Like, I need to actually, if I'm saying I have faith, and this is for all of us, I believe, here, we need to feel the tension of, man, I actually believe something that, man, that sounds, that sounds kind of crazy to normal. If it doesn't feel a little crazy, if you don't feel the tension with normal, you're probably not living by big faith. You can't get comfortable with Jesus. It shouldn't be comfortable with Jesus saying things like, yeah, you're going to tell mountains to go into the sea. Whether that's literal or metaphorical, that is not normal. That's not comfortable. You should feel a tension. If, if I actually am praying, believing that a mountain's going to move into the sea, metaphorical or physical, doesn't matter, either one, that should feel uncomfortable. I should be able to feel the tension of like, that's not normal thinking. Many people would say this is crazy. Jesus just says, that's real faith. And that's this gravitational pull that I feel God is beckoning us toward. Feel it. It should, if you feel that, that should feel good. Now you're actually getting into the realm of Biblical faith. It shouldn't feel normal. It shouldn't feel comfortable. It shouldn't feel like, oh, that kind of makes me nervous to pray. That's kind of a big thing. Now we're getting into the realm of faith. So part of my excitement and conviction that's been growing is God help, help me Get comfortable being uncomfortable with what I believe should happen right now. That that tension, that collision, that, oh man, that's kind of praying like that's not normal, that's a little weird, is, is, is a good indicator of right where you should be. In praying along God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if you think about it, of course there should be a tension. The tension is we're want, wanting heaven to collide with and transform the brokenness of earth. If that doesn't feel like a tension, I, that's a problem. 
So there's this pull that God is saying. Gravitational pull towards this other world where he's saying, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get comfortable living in this tension. When you live, when you're in that tension, you know you're in a good place of testing and pushing yourself towards this faith in God's world. Like I'll, I'll be very honest. Of a tension of faith that comes up in my house. And if you're, if you're not at that place yet, and this sounds a little weird, that's okay. There's no condemnation. But I'll say where one area where God's challenging me. Every time, almost every time, we hear about a tragic death that's, that's somehow in our world, in our in sphere of influence in a way. Tragic death, an, ear, an early death, a tragic death, as opposed to what, and I, I don't have good language for this, something like an, an acceptable death, uh, uh, an appropriate, like, I'll give an example. My last grandmother went home to be with Jesus a couple weeks back, 97 years old. That, that, that was like, there's, there's a grief of the loss, but we're at that point where it's like, she was ready for glory. We believe, and we could feel and sense like her, she's like, I'm ready. And so there's a celebrating, like, that's, there's not this thing of like, oh my gosh, that's so wrong. That's so tragic. We feel the loss, but it's like, her time has come. It's well with our soul. Like, she's in glory. She was ready. And, and you can't, you really can't live a better life. Incredible legacy of character and faith and family that's just beautiful. She's a saint in our eyes. We all love her. The tributes go on and on on Facebook, as they should. Contrast that with things like a child dies young. And an adult dies of a ravaging disease. Something rises up in all of us that says, this is not how it's supposed to be. You can feel it. It's wrong. So, when that stuff happens in our world, my wife's response is, where's the body? Can we go pray for a resurrection? I'm uncomfortable <laughs> right away. And I'm usually like, well, you know, I just talked uh, with him on the phone. You know, it, it's complicated. I don't really know where the body's at at this point. I, I really don't know what the family wants. It, it is just, it's, 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 uh, it's complicated, babe. I, it's complicated. Let's, let's just pray right here. Mainly, I'm just uncomfortable if I'm honest, that she's living in and pressing into this other world that looks a lot like Jesus's world that is possible. I'm telling you, this is, this is stretching me, right? So if this is like way stretching you, that's okay. We should all have those places where it's like, whoo, challenge us. Because if I'm honest, if I put on my training, if I put on my biblical scholarship lens, her reaction is way more biblical than mine. Her reaction, according to New Testament, New Covenant, follower of Jesus as our example, her reaction's way better, more biblical than mine. Did Jesus ever, for example, bless the death of a child and just be okay with it as like, oh, it was just God's timing. God needed an angel. Did, ever, did Jesus ever bless the death of, of, 
of ravaging sickness and disease and just say, oh, that was God's will for them. He had a good plan for their life. And that was it, I guess. We never see any of that stuff ever on the lips of Jesus. But what we do have recorded in many places is Jesus praying for and raising the dead of multiple people, children who died early, adults who died from ravaging disease. And then Jesus had the gall to send out 12 and say, do the same. And then he had the gall to send out 70 and say, go raise the dead. And then he had the gall to say, you're all going to do this when my Holy Spirit comes. And then we have the book of Acts saying, and they actually did it like Jesus. So if I'm honest, there is a really clear biblical witness that says you should grow towards a big faith for this. That is part of God's new and coming reality, whether you've experienced it yet or not. And that's just a challenging example for me. But a good one of where I feel that tension of I'm just not going to dismiss it. Oh, it's just in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, it's, if that's what we dismiss anyways, that's a bad, oh, it's just what Jesus did. <laughs> it's just all over the, you know, new covenant example of Jesus bringing his kingdom that he told us to bring. So, not for me. All of the examples of Big faith in God's word. All of them. Big faith, big promises, big testimonies. They are all meant to be this gravitational force that pulls us out of our status quo and towards God's world where, as Jesus said, all things are possible by faith. And that doesn't mean because it's not happening in your life. You dismiss that. It's meant to be the gravitational pull that's pulling you forward towards heaven's reality. And then if we believe Jesus, the more it becomes our reality that we're connected to and trust, it will become our reality here. This has got me excited, if you haven't noticed. Are we being pulled toward a place of greater faith? And again, every single person is at a different spot, so it doesn't matter where you're at. It's are you feeling, sensing, knowing, seeing in God's word that greater reality of heaven that's desiring to break in and transform the brokenness of life now? And is that pulling you towards something that gets you excited to say, ah, I believe, I believe that's God's heart. I'm going to be praying for that. I'm going to be declaring that. I'm going to be telling that mountain to move into the sea. God is wanting to pull us all into this place of greater faith, big faith where we're living from his world, no matter how long it takes to see his world transform this world. The question is, what's that place in your life? You can sense the Holy Spirit pulling you towards this greater world that's possible and to hold on to it until it comes to pass. I'll just give a couple examples right now that have, 
I've been wrestling with and thinking about and been excited by. We started the year talking about awakening and revival and believing that God is going to sweep our city, the nation, and the world with salvations. And we've been, we've been believing that for a, a long time. And But in the sense of the Holy Spirit saying, we know that's always God's will. That's what it says. Even the Bible says in 1 Peter that he delays returning because his desire, his will, is that none should perish. So we know and believe God wants salvations and his spirit is at work. But we believe in the prophetic sense as Many other prayer movements are saying that they believe the Spirit is stirring to bring revival and great awakening. And so many of you have been involved in those prayers and, and exercising that faith of God's world breaking into this world and you feel that gravitational pull towards, yes, that's your heart. I believe it. I'm going to pray it and keep praying it. One thing that's encouraging to me in this season of, you know, quarantine is kind of like, you, first off, the first reaction is like, oh, my goodness, how, how, are, how are all of these things about prayer, revival, awakening, salvation is going to happen? Like, you can't even be together. And then a few weeks in, I heard this incredibly encouraging story. A couple of them right together is right Right around uh, April 1st through 3rd, there was a big-time prayer and fasting movement in the U.S. to pray for our nation, to pray for revival. Lots of neat, very neat unity among churches and denominations and movements and tribes that typically have a hard time getting together and praying in unity. And there was lots of prayer around repentance and turning back to God as individuals, as a, as a land and, and trusting God's promises to heal our land, release his spirit for revival. So right around April 1st to 3rd, that, that was a big push. And then I heard the incredible news that on April 5th, Sunday, from one church alone, over one million people watched their live stream. And over 11,000 made first-time decisions for Christ. Those numbers are so bonkers. That doesn't seem possible. That, that, that doesn't make sense from a normal human perspective. Or the, the, a Pew Research study came out this week that said, right now in England, where before this whole you know, COVID thing, 2% of adults were going to church, and now more than 25% are tuning in live stream. Those numbers from a statistical standpoint, within six weeks to go from 2% to 25% of people are attending church, those are that's impossible. England's been hovering at 2% for decades. And the numbers aren't out on the U.S. yet, but I'm encouraged. I mean, I, we know, at least from our anecdotal evidence and talking to other pastors, everybody's saying the same thing. More people are watching than we're attending. That's encouraging. That doesn't, that, if you'd asked in January if this is a good idea, like, no, that doesn't make, doesn't make sense at all. Have faith, big faith in what God wants to do. Another one that was very encouraging to me was an interview that I saw with the University of Washington doctor. And 
This happened, the interview was on April 13th, the day after Easter. And it was about the prior week, and many of you know that my wife specifically felt a prophetic word that that week starting April 6th was huge, that it was, a, it was a time to pray, come together in unity, and it would shift the course of this whole direction of the COVID. And she wasn't alone in that. She heard it on her own, but there was many other prophetic voices saying, this is the week to pray specifically that this disease would stop. And that was also the same week that the Surgeon General and others came out to say, this is going to be the new Pearl Harbor, the new 9-11. This is going to be hundreds of thousands of people are going to die this week. And these inflammatory, like, wow, this is so scary. This is going to be the worst two weeks, they said. And the interview on the 13th of this doctor from University of Washington, who is, they are the source of the ones who are the scientists creating the models that our, our government is using to dictate what we need to do as a population. So, man, this interview was crazy. Because the bottom line was the, the deaths were a fraction of what they predicted, just so much smaller to the point that these experts upon experts, the epidemiologists, the true ones, not the Facebook ones, but the ones who actually do this for a living, who know their stuff and they see the trends, and there are trends with viruses, these are the experts. They had to change their model twice, from April 1st to April 10th, twice revised it saying, whoa, these numbers are not happening. This is not taking place. Something's wrong. And they revised their numbers. And when the reporter asked, well, why such dramatic revisions in, in such a small amount of time? It's kind of unheard of. What happened? The absolute lamest response I've ever heard. The doctor, or excuse me, the, yeah, the doctor said, well, the, the doctors have been doing a really good job. I was like, that is such a load of junk. So you're telling me up until this point, all of these doctors who have trained 25 years of their life have been doing a horrible job? They finally this week figured out how to do it? That's such a lie. There is no new care in the, next, in the last seven days. There was no breakthrough of, oh, actually, this is how we have to do it. There was certainly no, you know, you know, immunotherapy or anything given. There was no change in the doctor's care. That's, come on. Don't be so uh, demeaning to the doctors that finally this week they figured out how to take good triage care of patients. <laughs> Not the right answer. So, it, but, and my favorite thing of all is he put the statistics up there. And do you know when the first day in the United States of America that the death toll started to, started to decrease? Good Friday. Good Friday of the week that hundreds of thousands of people are praying that the course of this disease be reversed or virus stop. And Good Friday is when the death toll started to decrease. And the doctor admitted that, put it up there on the numbers, and said the worst is behind us. And it has been steadily decreasing since. So, in my world, that's a win. That's a win for prayer. That's a win for God. That is, that's a huge win. That's, that increases my faith that, yeah, when people call together to pray, it will change things. 
It's, it's either that or the doctor was not telling the truth from the beginning and got exposed. And in the long run, I'm okay with either one of those things. Both of those things are a win. That encouraged my faith to pray. If there's intentional deception, then let evil be exposed. That's a win in God's word. And so is prayer changing the direction of the disease. Either way, it increased my faith. We can have big faith that God's not asleep. But when we get together and pray, he is excited to move. Or I'll just give one this week. In my life, in my own kind of personal life and journey as a pastor here in this city and stuff, Thursday, two days ago, three days ago, was supposed to be a, a very exciting day in our church life. We had the opportunity to host the National Day of Prayer for our city where we were expecting city leaders to be here, where we could have the incredible privilege to pray for city leaders. It was one of the things I was most excited about the whole year. What a privilege as a church family to pray for our city leaders in person, to host them in our home, our house, if you will. And, you know, can't do that right now. And, and I had some big faith. I had some big faith of the good stuff that was going to happen through that. But we can't do it. And I had, had a, a fellow pastor friend. I mean, he, he was... He was trying to help, but just was like, oh, you just, you just kind of got to grieve that loss. Just grieve the loss. And that's good on a level. Yeah, when we lose stuff, we can't, you know, don't pretend it doesn't hurt. It's, it's healthy. It's okay to go through that process of grief, of the loss. But I was like, mm, okay, true. But I had big faith that God, that, that this was God's thing anyways. God wanted to do something. And that's what we were praying for. We believe God is not, it wasn't us. It was God was doing something and he was kind of showing us his party. It was like, I'm going to do something cool. Faith is attaching to God's world. So we had big faith. God was doing something. So I wasn't going to just grieve it and let it go. It was like, no, it's something, something. God, you're doing something here. Even if it's different, even if it's kind of changing in the midst of these circumstances, your heart is big for this. So I want to have big faith. And I'll just share real quick. This is just a personal example, and you got to find your own personal examples where the gravitational pull of heaven is calling you to big faith. So I got a call. This is just a cool God thing. I got a call from our awesome city councilwoman, Lisa Sobeck, incredible woman of faith. And essentially her heart was really bummed. National prayer can't happen. Is, is there something we can do? <laughs> well, first of all, you just made my day. You just made my month. The fact that a, a city leader has a heart, a public heart to pray and say prayer is important. And so what ended up happening is she shot a video where she called the whole city to come together in prayer, not physically, but saying, on this National Day of Prayer, I encourage you to come out there at noon and just pray and menifee. Let's come together in prayer. That is awesome. That is so encouraging. That is so cool. That is God at work, I believe. Answering prayers that have happened for long, long periods of time that God would put people in leadership in our city that would be friends of faith, that would, that would allow faith to flourish, that would encourage Menifee to, to live out this creed of our land. In God, we trust. We are dependent. We need God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And then it went a step further. And I got a text from her and said, hey, this is really exciting. This is really cool. The city asked me if they would be okay if they reposted her video on their website. <laughs> How many cities do you know of that posted on their own government Facebook page a call to prayer, a call to united prayer as a city? I don't know of many, but man, to me, that was just this confirmation of why we can have big faith. This is just one example this week in my life of things that have been stern in my head. You got all your, you, you, we all have stuff, but that was just a real example of, man, we had big faith for this. We believed that God was in this. God was on the move, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. And that's, wow, what a cool lesson. God's like, well, things have changed, but I haven't changed. I'm still on the move. I'm still going to do something important and good in this. And so what that encourages me, again, is just back to this gravitational pull towards big faith. It's gravitational pull towards God's heart, the kingdom of heaven coming our way, where God is saying, I want you to live in this place where you can feel that what you believe doesn't make sense to the normal, godless, just human-thinking perspective. I want you to feel the tension of what you believe, where it's all things are possible with God. So that should make you nervous. But that's healthy because now it's we're living dependent on God and what is what He makes possible, not us. So I want to pray and close and just ask you to ponder this question. What is your big faith for in this? season can you feel the gravitational pull of God's word and God's world beckoning you saying this is my reality this is my heart this is my will this is my kingdom come up here with me see it taste it touch it believe it and live from that place down into your world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us faith as we sang and declared earlier. Would you give us faith like Jesus spoke of to believe in your world that moves mountains, that redeems and heals and lifts out of the pit and delivers us from fear and makes us prosperous in all things and renews our youth like the eagles and lifts us out of the pit and puts a new song in our mouth and wipes out wickedness and evil schemes and protects us and heals us from disease and restores families and relationships and brings salvation to the ends of the earth and many, many other awesome realities. 
Would you help us feel the gravitational pull of heaven? Would you give us faith that it becomes more real than anything else we know so that we can live by faith, by big faith in what you are going to do? Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak some specific things to each of us right now. Where are you calling us to live in your world, to live from your world into our world with big faith? Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak right now. Dance a new dance like day.